Well, welcome. Welcome, uh, many of you who normally go to first service. No, you forgot to set your clocks ahead last night. And so this is what the second service looks like. We're glad you're here with us today. We don't just plan this on that week when we plan our, set our clocks ahead. We have a second service every week. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 9. And by the way, I'm really just kidding about that. There are some first service folks here, but a lot of times people just go to the service that's uh, comfortable or convenient for them. I would have skipped first service this morning if I could have. I would have, but I couldn't. So I was here early this morning. The choir was in full force today. You would have been proud of them. They had to be here at roughly 6.30, you know, 7.30. They get a gold star for sure. So hopefully you uh, got out all right. Obviously you got here okay. And uh, we're looking at wisdom. Been checking out these chronicles and what the chronicles say to you and me to like how to live our life differently than we would if we, obviously, if we didn't have the Chronicles or if we did not have the Bible. Oh, my bad. Some guy handed me this about uh, 25 minutes ago. If you have a silver car, Toyota, and your license plate is AU975T, 25 minutes ago, your lights were on. All right, so you may want to check that out. Hopefully, everything's okay. But we're looking at Second Chronicles, and what we want to ask ourselves is, what do we learn from the Word of God? Our world will tell us how to live. And you know this, if you're a parent, our world will tell our kids how to live, and they will challenge Scripture at every juncture. And so it's not as simple as just saying, well, you know, let's, let's keep a few things in mind, or is, as long as just we live our lives wisely, that's enough. We need more than that. We need to equip the next generation with wisdom. And it's, we've got to equip them in such a way that it's not just you telling them and me telling them what to do. The lecture grows old. Many of you have gotten to the point where the lecture no longer has teeth. The lecture has rolled eyes and uh, a look away and uh, maybe or maybe not an engaged spirit. But in this passage today, we're looking at, look, what happens when somebody is finally ready to hear wisdom and apply wisdom in their life? And so, you know, the Old Testament is full of stories of God's grace, and if we're not careful, we think of God's grace to Israel in the Old Testament, but all over the place, God is showing grace, not just to the Israelites, but to Gentiles as well. And in this story today, it's not just a story like a say-so story, a story of truth. In this text today, we're seeing a Gentile queen come from a far-off country to hear Solomon speak wisdom into her life. And so it's going to be a great, great, hopefully encouragement to you. It's been an encouragement to me just to be reading it. So 2 Chronicles chapter 9, we're going to read the first 12 verses, and then we'll jump in together, okay? Here we go. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. Arriving with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, precious stones, She came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace he had built, the food on his table, 
the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever. He has made you king over them to maintain justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones, There had never been such spices as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. The men of Hiram and the men of Solomon brought gold from Ophir. They also brought algam wood and precious stones. The king used the algam wood to make steps for the temple of the Lord and for the royal palace and to make harps and lyres for the musicians. Nothing like them had ever been seen in Judah. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for. He gave her more than she had brought to him. And she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. So let's pray. Lord, we want your wisdom. We want to understand what you're asking of us about how to live this life. We want to understand the mind of God, and we certainly want to understand and live out anything that you've called us to live out. And since wisdom is your attribute, you own it, and we are your people, you own us, then we should reflect wisdom. So so help us understand and live what you are calling us to understand and live through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go through today, we're just going to have four kind of simple points about what wisdom is, and we're going to move through, and then we're going to kind of comment on that. The first thing we need to understand is what wisdom really is, wisdom defined. What is the definition of wisdom? Now, if we look at the Hebrew word, the dictionary definition, it's talking about uh, masterful understanding, and Gary's helped us as we've seen the word wisdom pop up in these passages. He's helped us understand that masterful understanding. That is, deep insight into a topic or situation. And when we come to Christian wisdom, we, we understand deep insight that comes from the Lord. So somebody can see that you should tell the truth, but if you have wisdom, you understand you tell the truth because God is truth. Right? Someone can tell you that it's good to be pure, but when you have the Lord as your guide, purity is who he is, and therefore purity is, is reflecting him and making him known by pursuing him, and then purity comes out in our lives as we uh, pursue him. So uh, wisdom is masterful understanding of something. It's skill 
and expertise. We see in verses 10 and 11 in this passage, there's a discussion about musical instruments. Wisdom is not just a, a knowledge of God applied to life. It's also, it's also being the best you can be at your craft. If you are a teacher, then, then a wise teacher is skillful and make adjustments depending on his or her class and classroom, depending on his kid's learning style. Last week, I had a conversation with a, a public school teacher, and this year, he's teaching uh, a classroom of, of difficult-to-reach students, at-risk students. Next year, he's moving to AP history. So if you're a kind of teacher that can go from special needs, difficult case, at-risk kids to AP, that's wise, and he is. And so it's really cool to see the different ways wisdom comes out. It comes out in clarinet playing. It comes out in... It comes out in people who are becoming doctors and surgeons, right? So wisdom is masterful understanding, but it's also skill at your craft. In fact, I would say this. This is my definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the skillful art of living out everything you are learning about God. I'll say that again because I think, for me, that is a helpful working definition. Okay? Wisdom is the skillful art of living out everything you are learning about God. It's a skillful art because wisdom does not just say, I need to know a bunch of information. It's an art. So one of you is married uh, in here, and that person is married to a specific person, and that person needs to live in relationship to his wife at home, and he has learned the skillful art of applying knowledge to his wife. Or she's, she's applying knowledge to her husband. That looks different. And if we brought up a second person who's married... It would not look exactly the same. The truths are the same, but the living out looks differently. It's a skillful art to be wise. If knowledge is paint, then wisdom is a masterpiece. And some of us, we get our fingers in the paint, and we paint something, and we get it going, and there's like, you know, a rainbow, and you look at it, and you're like, well, I'm not sure what that is, all right? You, the kind of thing you would hang kind of sideways on your refrigerator, and then, you know, me, the one who made it, I'd be like, well, you know, actually, it's supposed to look like that. Some of us, that's as far as we go with wisdom. We've got the finger painting down, but there are some people who are wise, gifted. The Michelangelos, the, the Sistine Chapels, the, the Mona Lisas. And so if knowledge is paint, yes, I understand, wisdom is artwork. If knowledge is building blocks, wisdom is the skyscraper, right? So you get the idea. If, if knowledge is understanding the body and, and biomedical information, the, the surgeon is the artist. And we can apply that all over the place. So it's a skillful art of living out. The word living there is in the present tense. That is, we need to be making it known. You know, um, when we come to this word wisdom, Wisdom is in the present. You, you can't rest on yesterday's wisdom because you're always coming into new and funky and strange situations that require a fresh word from the Lord to understand how to live out your life with wisdom. It's a skillful art of living it out. There's a present tense. It's substantial. It's doing something. 
As we look at Solomon's wisdom, the substance of Solomon's wisdom is in chapter 1 of 2 Chronicles, he asked for wisdom. Now, how does it look all these years later in his life? It's 20, maybe 40 years later when we see the Queen of Sheba finally come to him. What has changed about his life? How has wisdom actually changed his life? He's a builder. He's built his palace. He has built the temple. He's dedicated the temple. He's gotten all these natural resources and he's done something with it. And if someone would have said, well, Solomon, what's one way your life has been changed? Because wisdom is there. The substance of the way his life has changed is that he is applying his knowledge about God in the moment to where he's at and he's doing what he is called to do, namely to govern the people and to build the community, to build the country. And, and 40 years later, Israel is radically different because Solomon is wise. Your life should be, my life should be radically different if we are living in the midst of wisdom. Example. Say when you're 20 years old, you learn that God is the king over finances. And when you were 22, you learned about some financial integrity. And you learned about budgeting and you learned about investing and you learned about all of those things. If that is the case, then when you're 24, your life looks differently. And when you're 26, and when you're 30, and when you're 40, your life looks radically different than it would have looked. Why? Because all along the way for those 20 years, you've been making decisions, realizing and admitting that God is the king over your finances. And so rather than saying, look, when I was 20 or 22 years old, I got the knowledge, but I never applied it to my life. So I had the paint, but I carried it in my pockets all these years. I never did anything with it. That's what some of us tend to do, where we got the information, but it doesn't change your life. Listen, if it doesn't change your life, it's not wisdom, just knowledge. And if you know Christ and he has given you himself and he has given you insight into uh, the way you ought to live life, but you are struggling with the change and you are not becoming the wise person you want to be, it's not because there's a lack of resources. It could be because I'm puffed up with knowledge but haven't applied the knowledge to my life. And there's been no change. Wisdom is in the moment. It's lived out or it's not wisdom the skillful art of living out everything that you are learning and that word are learning again present tense you're coming to more information a new situation you never come to the point where you just stop learning about god so there's a progressive throughout life becoming more and more wise listen the wisest people among us should be the oldest people among us the people who have been following God the longest. That doesn't necessarily always happen, but it should. I can get to be old in Christ, but not be wise in Christ. But the way that it should go is as we are learning about Christ and we are learning about God and we are living it out, we are transformed and made into his image. And as we are 50 and 60 years old and we've been following Christ for 20 and 30 years, there is much wisdom to be put on display in our lives. None of us would say, look at me, but all of us would have to have our lives put on display. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, the reason God gives us precepts and tells us to obey is because he wants to put our life on display for other people to look at, to examine, to see the wisdom of your life. 
The reason this story is in the Bible is because Solomon asked in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, give me wisdom. And by 2 Chronicles chapter 9, the end of his reign, God is saying to all of the neighboring countries around Israel, look at the way that I'm blessing this wise king. Look at his wisdom and the way he makes decisions and the way he carries out uh, decrees. Look at the way he is blessed financially. And so all of the nations, all the neighboring nations are looking at Solomon for years and years going, look at this guy. He is wise. This is not just earthly wisdom. We'll look at that in a minute. This is something more. And by the way, so far, everyone would agree that the definition that we just opened up is the definition of wisdom. Even your friends outside this church. If we stop right here, listen. The skillful art of living out everything you are learning. Nobody would disagree that that's wisdom. That's earthly wisdom. But we put on the last little phrase there at the end of the sentence, the skillful art of living out everything you are learning about God. Because that's where wisdom comes, not from beneath, not from below, but from above. In James chapter 3, remember the church had... uh, Uh, some issues in James, and they were struggling with some wisdom issues, and the entire book of James is is devoted to saying, guys, if we're going to follow Christ together, we've got to have some wisdom that's actually put on display. We can't be this church where we just constantly struggle with foolishness and everything. And so listen, don't expect that you're not going to have trials. You follow after Christ, count it all joy, my brothers, and you have all kinds of different kind of trials. That's what James 1 says. And, and be careful with your words. You can't be a Christian and come into this community and just say whatever's on your mind all the time, right? If you discipline your words, now you're a spiritual person. And we come to James chapter 3 where they, are, they have just talked about taming the tongue and now we're up to two kinds of wisdom. Look at James 3 verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is of the devil. Would you, would you let that, let's read that again. You're in the church, you're in community, you're in context with one another, and there's people here that drive you nuts. Don't harbor bitter envy. That probably was talking about classes, that is, wealthy and poor. Don't let that be in your heart. Don't envy the rich, all right? Don't envy different people in this congregation. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly. And so we are distinguishing in the church between earthly wisdom, that is, wisdom from the world and our culture around us that is seeping into the church because we say, well, look, that's all we've got. That's wisdom. Wisdom in the church, wisdom outside the church. Let's just live like the culture around us. And James is saying, that's not wise. We're we're not going to just be able to be satisfied with just wisdom that comes from the earth. We're going to need wisdom that comes from above. And he makes his point by saying this. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you, have, there you find disorder and every evil 
practice, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, it's submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, it's impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And that's what wisdom is all about. It comes from above. So we come to this, this place where we see this, this woman, Queen of Sheba, is coming and she's beginning to try to understand what wisdom is all about. Let me give you an example before we move on in our story with Queen Sheba uh, of what wisdom an, an example of what wisdom might look like. Let's say that there's somebody in here and you're moving towards wanting to embrace spiritual leadership in your home. You want to be a leader in your home. You want to begin to set the pace. You want to begin to, to, to take some ground spiritually. And, and you seek the Lord. And you say, Lord, Lord, show me what it is that I need to do to be a leader, a spiritual leader in my home. How can this take place? Maybe it is that you've not prayed with your wife, or maybe it is that you've not read the Bible with your wife, or maybe it is that uh, as a wife you, you want to encourage and you want to read together on a regular basis. And so you're just going to, you know, not that you're going to take the lead necessarily in every way, but you're going to say, look, let's, let's get serious about this devotional time. Let's get serious about our relationship with God. What would that look like? Well, again, if, if you're like those of us who struggle sometimes, you start off with an earthly plan and just say, well, I'm not going to, I just know I need to do it, so I'm going to try to do it for a while. And, and, and you just put your effort to it for a little while and see what you can do, and you try to make something in your own strength. Or, or you, you know it's the right thing to do, but rather than do it, you avoid the topic and you're afraid to do it, and you're afraid that people will laugh, and you're afraid that people won't follow along. And so even within your own family, you know it's like you've got the paint, but the paint to make this beautiful canvas, is, it's just too, too much risk to start putting it into practice. And so we put the paint in our pockets and we just walk for year after year. It's hard to be a spiritual leader. But at some point, the risk of spiritual leadership is looking at that paint and coming before the Lord and starting a masterpiece. It's taking a risk. It's doing something with it. Finding a way to order your life in such a way that you can make a difference. It's shutting something off. It's saying no to some commitment. Maybe a good commitment. So you can be at home at night when your kids are there. Spiritual, if, you're, if the Lord is leading in your heart and life with regard to spiritual leadership, the last thing in the world that we want to do is get to be to the point where our kids are 18, 20, 22, 24 years old with a pocket full of paint, of knowledge of what we should have done or could have done and, and never having put forth the effort to say, let's do this. Let's put this in practice. Wisdom puts it in practice. And the Queen of Sheba is a great example of somebody who, who had been hearing for year after year of what wisdom was all about. She wanted to acquire the wisdom. She wanted to get it. And that's our second point today. So here she is, the queen of a neighboring country. She's walked a long way. She lived, she lived in modern Yemen. And that was about 13 or 1,400 miles from Jerusalem. It would be as if uh, all of us today after the service say, hey guys, you know what we should do? Let's get ourselves together. Let's load up the caravan, all right? And let's walk to Houston, Texas. Wouldn't that be a great idea? And, and a couple of us say, yeah, okay, I'm in with that, all right? And we start walking. Now, the queen probably didn't walk too far. She probably rode the whole way. But the point is, this whole big group of people walked 
13, 1,400 miles to come find out what Solomon's wisdom was all about. They came from a country where there was plenty of earthly wisdom. The queen constantly, all the time, had people coming into her, her chambers and saying to her, listen, queen, I know this is the problem of the day. Here's what I think you should do. Here's what I think you should do. But the queen finally got to the point where she knew she was not leading her people with integrity. She was not solving their problems. She was not leading them the direction that they needed to go. Even as her whole country denied the living God, she knew there had to be something more than she was giving. And the first ingredient to acquiring wisdom is what she went through, namely, mouth-shutting trials. That's the first ingredient. All of us have a different point at, with our, at which our trials are finally going to shut our mouth. God, this is what I'm going to do. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. The Queen of Sheba ran out of ideas. She ran out of ideas that were going to work, and she knew it. And from 12 or 1,400 miles away, she looked around at her people, and she looked around at her country, and she heard the reputation of Solomon, and she said, guys, it's time to shut up. It's time to stop talking. It's time to start thinking that we've got the, an- stop thinking that we've got the answers. It's time to stop saying that, that earthly wisdom is enough, and we're just going to keep on doing what we've been doing generation after generation after generation. This is not working. And if you are a young person in here today, can I just encourage you? You will never, ever, the culture will never stop telling you what to do with your life. It will never happen. They will always have a suggestion, and it will never include God. Never. And until you come to the point where you say, listen, I've heard all your ideas and they don't bring me the life I want. I've heard all your suggestions and they have not gotten me on the path that I know is right. I'm at the place where I am finally not listening to the world around me anymore and I have stopped telling God all the reasons why I won't listen to him. My mouth is stopped and it's the trials of my life that God has used as the gracious blessing for me to finally shut my mouth. It's a beautiful place to be. I bet that the Queen of Sheba's trip from Sheba to Jerusalem was pretty quiet. Maybe once in a while people coming up to her cabin or riding in there for a while and saying, hey, what about this or what about that? Her saying, listen, no. No, we've tried all those ideas. We've tried that. It's not sufficient. I'm going to check this guy out. I want to hear from him. And her trials stopped her mouth. A couple other ideas on this mouth-shutting trials. Wisdom from uh, above cannot be forced on anyone. You notice that uh, Solomon didn't go looking for her? Solomon didn't come into Yemen. He didn't come into Sheba saying, Hey, queen, so you got some problems here. I can help you fix them up if you'll just listen to me. Didn't do it. And at some point, especially when our kids are adults, it's not a matter anymore of you as parents going into their life and telling them how to change their life and telling them how to fix things. You need to pray, quite frankly, for mouth-shutting trials. 
that the Lord would be good and put them in a position where they finally see that what they've been trying to do, the direction they've been going, is not working, and they come looking for help. Now, what did Solomon do in the meantime? He lived his life full force, as hard as you can press into God with the purpose of, of putting God's glory on display with the wisdom that he lived with. He continued to serve the Lord with all of his heart. This passage wants us to see the way that, the, that Solomon served the Lord with all of his heart. If you look at a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 10, you'll see that uh, toward the end of his reign, Solomon obviously made a lot of mistakes. But this passage wants us to focus on the, the wisdom that Solomon is acquiring along the way, and he has acquired along the way. But he didn't force it on anyone. The person who was getting wisdom in this case had to be willing to walk hundreds of miles, had to be willing to stop listening to the wisdom of the day. And so if you have a person like that in your life, your chief weapon is live it out and pray and ask God to move in their hearts. The timing of the Queen of Sheba coming is totally the Lord's. You see that? Wisdom comes to this point where it realizes you cannot press God's timing. You can't make him do his thing your way, your timing. Solomon had wisdom for all of those years, right? And, and it had taken, you know, he came to the throne and he built the temple and he built his palace and he built these cities and he had wisdom on display and the word was getting out and finally the Queen of Sheba was tired of her issues that she dealt with in her own home country and finally she came and the timing was not one that Solomon could dictate and it's not one that you can dis- dictate either. We will not hear the whisper of heavenly wisdom until we stop talking. Heavenly wisdom is this little whisper that just keeps revealing Christ or the heart of God. It keeps showing us the way to go. But the more I talk, the more I, in essence, talk over it. I talk over that wisdom. Job chapter 38, you remember Job going through all of the issues of his life And he was questioning and saying, why God? And it's not wrong to question. In this passage, the Queen of Sheba did not come expecting Solomon to actually answer her her questions. It says here that she came with hard questions, and later when she's interacting with him, she's like, yeah, I didn't think you were going to be all that impressive. I didn't think you were going to be able to do it. I'm kind of pleasantly surprised that you actually have answers to my hard questions. The, The point is, you can come to wisdom... You can come to wisdom with a little bit of doubt and a little bit of cynicism. That's okay. As long as you don't come to wisdom and say, listen, I am going to be the sovereign over you. In other words, we can't come to God and say, God, if I were God, I would be this way and that way and this way. You can't go there. Because God's mind is above our mind. But if we come to God with questions, Lord, why? Lord, help. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, guide me. Lord, show me. The Lord will always honor that request. James chapter 1, he who lacks wisdom should ask of the Lord who gives liberally to anybody who asks. If you lack wisdom, you come to the Lord to get help. 
So listen, we said this already, the worldly wisdom is never going to stop being offered. And so we need to distinguish the discipline of listening to the Lord as well. Learning from him and following after him is a discipline. You know, it's not a one-time decision. It's a, it's a life of acquiring uh, knowledge. As we said, it's a skillful art of living out everything that you are learning about God for the rest of your life. And that's what wisdom is really all about. So if the first thing we do to acquire wisdom is let our trials stop our mouth, the second thing that we do to acquire wisdom is get ourselves to the source of wisdom. What is the source of wisdom? Queen of Sheba got herself to Solomon because in her day, Solomon was the source. He was the one who was living out the wisdom. He was the one who was doing it right. He was showing people how to live out wise principles. Listen, the source of wisdom is God himself. This is not, wisdom is not like a human uh, contrivance, something we made up to show that there are some people who live smartly and some people who don't live smartly. Wisdom, at its essence, is in the character of God. And the definition we gave earlier is really no different for him. Wisdom is all of God's attributes, especially his foreknowledge. He knows everything. We talked about information before, right? He knows everything, and he applies it to the world in such a way that stuff happens. Right? So, where do we look for the wisdom of God. The first place we can look is creation. I mean, of all of the different things God could have created with his infinite knowledge, he created this world. Think about that. Photosynthesis and trees and birds and an atmosphere as it is and eyes that work the way they work and a heart that pumps blood and you and me. He created and we are the best of his wisdom. And again, wisdom is not something you can't see. Wisdom is something that comes to be. It's knowledge applied to real life. And so, Creation is a great place to look. In fact, if you look over in Psalm 104, the entire psalm is about, listen guys, just look at God's created world and how beautiful it is, and you will see He is the all-wise God. Look at verse 19. The moon marks off the seasons. I'm in Psalm 104 if you want to follow along. The sun knows where to go down. You bring darkness. It becomes night. And all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out for his work to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O God? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And he goes on. Listen, creation is the reality of God's wisdom that you and I can examine all the time. More than simply uh, acquiring knowledge at the source of wisdom and seeing creation itself, we, we, we look to the cross as well. I mean, the cross of Jesus Christ is God's greatest expression of wisdom. After man sinned, God could not come down and say, listen, guys, you broke my law, but I'm just going to look the other way. 
You know, I, I always thought of this when I was a kid. I always thought, man, when I do something wrong, my mom says, go out there and apologize. Or when my sisters did something wrong, which is the way it normally worked, I was normally in the right. So I'm there in the right, and my parents would say to my sisters, now you go to him and apologize. And so they would come to me and say, I'm sorry. All right? And I would say, I forgive you. Now, whether I forgave him or not, whatever, something had to happen in my... Here's my point. My point is, I was supposed to just decide to forgive them. Why can't God? Well, here's why. Because God is holy. And he told us, here's the earth that I've made for you, Adam and Eve, and in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And if God let Adam into heaven without his sins being forgiven, God would be guilty of injustice. That is not right. You said, God, in the day we eat of it, we will surely die. You have told us that you are the holy God. How can you just turn your back and let anyone into heaven just with the word? Just with kindness, just by overlooking it, he can't. Sin has to be paid for. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the wisdom of God is put on display when God says to Adam, I'm going to send a Messiah who is going to crush the head of this evil one who has deceived you. And the evil one will bruise his heel but I'm going to do that to pay for your sins because I love you so much. And we see the wisdom of God put on display in sending His Son to bear the sins of the world that cannot be forgiven by Him just saying nice words, I forgive you. They had to be paid for. That's the wisdom of God. And in sinning, we relinquished any righteousness we had before we sinned. We gave it up. We gave it back. We gave it away. And where will we find righteousness if it's not God coming to live in human flesh, living the righteous life for us, and then because He is God, He raises from the dead the third day so that He can transfer the righteousness of His Son to your account so that when God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of His own Son who lived the perfect life, and all of the wisdom of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. The transaction that took place at the cross and in the resurrection is the pinnacle of God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 points that up for you and for me. The source of wisdom is God. It's God Himself. But listen to what He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the... This is verse 20, 1 Corinthians. Where is the wise man... Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The world would say, be stronger, be smarter, be richer. The world would say, lie if you have to to get your way. The world would say, be a self-promoter. The world would say, go your own way. The world would say to God, if you're going to save the world, save him with a Savior who is strong and powerful and will reign in a palace and will, will crush his enemies. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what, of what has preached, what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a miraculous sign and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God put on display for you and me. Man, that is some awesome stuff. So we're going to acquire wisdom when we come to the source of wisdom. And while Solomon is the the immediate source of wisdom for Sheba, God is the source of all wisdom for all time. And so we've got to come to the Lord if we're going to receive wisdom from the Lord. What's the aim? What's the aim of wisdom? Wisdom seeks to glorify the name of God. It seeks to steer you and I away from living in this world and getting entangled by the sins of this world, but it flows from the mind of Christ. That is, it is is, uh, information about how to live, but it's not legalism that says, if you do this, this, and this, God will be pleased with you. Wisdom is, is us saying, look, if we belong to the Lord, then we want the Lord's mind, right? The Lord's mind is wise. We've already said that. God has shown us wisdom in creation. He has shown us wisdom at the cross. And so wisdom's aim is to make much of God's name. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. Let's look at verse 5. She said to the king, the queen of Sheba said this. Well, let's go back because I think it's funny. You know, if this had been the king of Sheba, I don't know that verse 4, verse 3 would have been in here. Look, she was impressed with what he said and how she answered all of her questions and how she gave him wisdom to take home. But she was really impressed with this. Look at this. Solomon answered all her questions. Verse 2, nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. The English Standard Version says she was speechless. Now, if I went with Nikki to an event, this would impress her very much. I would miss the table settings. I'm telling you that right now. I would miss the curtains. I would miss the cup bearing. I would miss all that. I would listen to what the guy's saying. I would check out the side, how big his chariot is. All right, I'd be looking at that stuff. Nikki would be like, man, did you see that guy's table setting? And I would be like, no, I did not see that. So the queen of Sheba is impressed with this wisdom. Verse 5, she she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements, wisdom is not information. Don't think that Christianity is a bunch of didactic truths. In other words, just information to feed your brain. Christianity will result in wise achievements with your life. Look back over your life. What have you achieved with your life? All right? Solomon achieved a lot of things because he put knowledge into action, i.e., wisdom. Wait, wisdom. Okay? So she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. 
But I did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. Do you ever have someone come into your, to your house and say, you know, with your kids standing there, you know, about you and your decisions, man, it must be awesome to have you as parents. And your kids are standing there and you're like, man, I hope they're listening to this. I hope, I've had that happen sometimes. It's rare, but it does happen sometimes. But isn't that a great thing? But yeah, the, the, the attendants are standing there listening to this wisdom day after day and hopefully for none of them it's becoming old hat. They're listening. And listen to what she says. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God. I don't, I don't know that the Queen of Sheba ever trusted God, ever followed him. Every time she addresses Solomon here, she says, well, well, look what she says. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule over the Lord your God, as king to rule for the Lord your God, because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever. Guys, the the aim of wisdom is to make much of the name of the Lord. We said earlier, Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, we have been given precepts and decrees and the mind of God in written form so that we can live a different kind of life. And not just a different kind of life in substance, but a different kind of life in character and a different kind of life in virtue and a different kind of life in generosity and a different kind of life in every way. You're called to live that different kind of life for the purpose of making the name of God known in this world. So that when rulers from far-off countries like Sheba are facing the most difficult trials of their life, they look around and they say, where am I going to turn for help? And they finally decide, I've got to go to Solomon. Or for you, so that your kids, when, when in 10 and 20 years down the road, when they are still not settled on following after God, they finally come back and you leave the relational door open and you keep following God in wisdom, no matter what happens in this world, and they finally come back and say, listen, uncle, I'm done. I I cannot keep living after the ways of this world any longer. I need help. I need somebody to, to talk to. And the door's been left open because you've kept living a wise life, and you've kept loving them, and you haven't shut some ridiculous door and saying you've gone too far, and I don't love you anymore, or I won't help you anymore, and you've stayed in their world enough so that when they are finally out of ideas, like the Queen of Sheba, they come back to you and say, listen, I'm finally ready to listen. My trials have shut my mouth. What do I do? Man, I want to be a, I want to be a church like that that our relational doors are all wide open. We're trying to live life with wisdom. We know that means something profound, but the doors are open and we're praying that people return to the Lord. The wisdom's aim is the glory of God. Well, what's wisdom's value? And we're going to close up here. Wisdom's value. How much do we pay for wisdom? I mean, I mean the queen of Sheba paid a lot, a lot of money for this wisdom. Now listen, it was not an exchange. She didn't buy the wisdom. She got the wisdom free and clear. You can't put a price tag on wisdom. But what she gave for the wisdom was just a gift of thanks, of thanks for it. And, and so look what she gave. Because of, okay, so we're now in verse uh, 9. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. 120 gal- talents of gold 
is about nine tons. Okay? It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of, of gold. Um, large quantities of spices and, and precious stones. There had never been such spices as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Now, this was a trading expedition. But in Yemen, what we find is that the, uh, the chief spices that they have, and we hear from Josephus and other historians of what the Queen of Sheba brought Solomon and what they grew in the area, they grew, they, she brought spices that were good for burial. She brought spices that were good for uh, a pharmacy, for, for different kinds of medicinal uses. She brought spices that were good for the temple. He had just dedicated the temple, and he was going to need spices to, uh, to burn and, and herbs to burn there. But the record of what she brought, well, let me tell you the story. Where is there another, another place in Scripture where wise prefects and wise rulers come from the east bearing the gift of gold and frankincense and myrrh because that's what she brought to him? You see, this is a picture. This whole story is a picture for you and me. Come to Jesus Christ because he is the source of all wisdom. And even when this Gentile ruler realized that the source of wisdom was in Solomon, she came but probably rejected the living God. But in the New Testament, the story is repeated again. As people make a long, long journey to come visit the wise king, with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew 12, Jesus is talking and he's saying to the, to the, uh, to the Pharisees, guys, don't you know the whole Old Testament is about me? Don't you know that all of the stories, and he starts and he says, you know, the, the Jonah, you know that that was a sign, right? Somebody being dead in the belly of the whale but being raised the third day. You know that was about me, right? And you know that those stories, that, that there, people from those stories are going to raise up in the, in the time of the judgment and they're going to announce to you that you should have listened to me. And so look at uh, Matthew chapter 12 and we'll start in... Uh, in verse 42, excuse me, let's start in verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Guys, don't you get that? Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Remember Jonah is the prophet. Verse 42, the queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, the story we're reading today. She will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now, one greater than Solomon is here. And he's the king. Guys, Jesus is greater. He's the one we look to. 
He's the one from, from whence we get wisdom. He's the one we commit our life to. He's the one we pursue with all we are. He is the one that defines the value of wisdom, and he is infinitely valuable. Go to him. Walk with him. May we be characterized, guys, as a, genera- as a congregation who loves our kids and loves this community and walks in wisdom, and we don't apologize for that And when people want in, they find easy roads in. When the Queen of Sheba wanted in, she experienced a welcome invitation from Solomon. Come on in. Check this out. If you're not ready for it yet, that's all right. It says here in verse 12 of 2 Chronicles chapter 9, King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for. Not because she accepted his wisdom. He was just a gracious king. The people come from the streets of Sheboygan to ask questions about our God and why we live the way we live and what this gospel is all about. We, we bless them with grace and kindness. He gave her more than she had brought to him. And then she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. May we be characterized, guys, by wisdom. May we live that kind of life. May we make it attractive to the world around us with our kindness and grace. May we live it unashamedly. And especially may the door be open when somebody who finally, after many years, finally comes knocking on the door and says, my mouth has stopped. I'm done arguing. Share with me this wisdom stuff. Help me see Jesus. And you and I take him into the pages of this book and show him Jesus. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. Lord, it is all about you. And as we think about what wisdom is all about, we want to grow in this skillful art of living out everything we're learning about God. Convict the heart's of the people of Sheboygan. Give us insight into the souls of our own children as we raise them in your ways. But Lord, may this never be a story that's truly simply about Solomon. This is a story that is about the glory of God and a God who keeps promises and a God who sent his Messiah, Jesus. The ultimate source of wisdom to pay for the sins of man and to make us his own. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, just before you go, I know this is probably like not a normal thing to do, but out in the lobby today, there is a, uh, an Easter Advent family devotional guide. And if you are ready to take a little lead in your family in terms of you know, some, some devotional, getting your heart ready for Easter, there's a couple different places out in lobby A and outside the door here where you can pick up a guide. And starting today, uh, lead your family through some devotions, getting them ready for Easter. All right, thanks a lot. Have a great afternoon.